You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Thanks for leading us. Well, if you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way not to the Gospel of Luke yet, we will be returning. But this morning, if you would make your way to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be looking at one verse, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Once you're there, I want to invite you to follow along as we read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, we read, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we long to behold wondrous things from your word. We pray now for supernatural aid. May the Spirit of God enable us to see and to hear all that you have for us this morning from your word. Father, we need your help in more ways than we even know of or can ask for your help. And here's what we do know. You are eager to help us. So Spirit of God, come now. Open up the word and open up our hearts to receive the good word that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know by now, tomorrow is the first day of a new year. And on the eve of a new year, I I want to suggest that we look back over the past year with eyes of faith. And I want to suggest on the eve of a new year that we look ahead to a new year with eyes of faith. See, I'm aware that it would be very easy for us to look back over this past year and either boast of our accomplishments or to possibly look back over this past year with regret or sorrow in light of our failures or disappointments. I don't know what 2023 was like for you. Maybe it was an average year. Maybe it was an extraordinary and memorable year. Maybe it was one of the hardest years you've experienced in a long time. I don't know if you would give 2023 two thumbs up, one thumb up, one thumb down, or just two thumbs down. Here's what I do know to be true for all who belong to Jesus Christ. No matter what your year was like, here's what is true. God was at work this past year sustaining you by His grace. Whether it was a good year, a hard year, the worst year. God was sustaining you by His grace if you are in Jesus Christ. And here's the good news. The same will be true for 2024. God will sustain us by His grace no matter what comes our way. Individually, as a church, as the people of God, as a nation, 
as a world. God will sustain His people by His grace. Because I know that this is true. I I chose this morning to begin this new year by drawing our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it it highlights the sustaining, all-sufficient grace of Jesus Christ that is at work in our lives. So let me read this verse once again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Church, personally speaking, there is not a single verse in the Bible that I can recall which has brought me more comfort in both life and in ministry over the years than 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Time and time again, this single verse has been a source of great comfort. And yet, at the same time, this single verse has also been challenging to me and has has stretched me more than probably any other verse of Scripture. So here, here in this single verse, there is great comfort. And in this verse, we are challenged. We are comforted and we are challenged. And that's what we're going to see in our our outline this morning. If you're taking notes, here's here's what we're going to see. The comforting words of grace and then challenging words about weakness. Let's begin with comforting words of grace. Notice how verse 9 begins with, with these words, but he said to me. And then we see this statement. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And did you notice it's in quotation marks? Someone had said this to Paul. And who is this speaking to Paul these words? None other than Jesus Christ himself. Jesus spoke these words to Paul. And before we can understand why he said this and and the significance of this, we we must seek to understand the context of this passage. And in order to understand the, the, the context of this passage, we have to understand something that Paul has been praying about. Paul has been burdened over. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. It's it's his way of expressing something in his life that he was asking God to remove. Look at verses 7 and 8 right before our passage. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now let me explain what's happening here. Without getting into too many of the the details, because of the Apostle Paul's unique role, remember he has a unique role, him along with the other 12 apostles have a unique authority. They speak on behalf of Jesus Christ. So he has a very unique role in church history. And not only because of his unique role, but but also because of some very, very dramatic encounters he had with the Lord. That's what we see in verses 1 through 6. He had some dramatic encounters. One so dramatic that he says, I'm not sure if I was in the body, out of the body. All I know is I went into the third heavens. He went into the very throne room of God. He said, it was so great, I'm not, I, I can't even talk about it. 
And because of his role and because of some of the dramatic encounters he had with the Lord himself, Paul easily could have become conceited, thought much of himself. So the Lord saw fit to put this thorn in Paul's flesh. And we're told why he did to keep him humble. And not only did the Lord give him this thorn in his flesh to keep him humble, the Lord placed Paul time and time and time again in many different, uh, difficult situations in which he was forced to minister in times of personal weakness. It seems like every time Paul turned around to do ministry, even though he had this unique role, even though he had seen things no one else had seen before, every time he turns around, Paul finds himself at, at his breaking point in utter weakness. And God kept placing him in that role. And God's reason for giving him this thorn in his flesh and God's reason for, for calling Paul to minister in weakness was twofold. First of all, Paul would be forced to be completely dependent on Christ. And by being completely dependent on Christ, Christ would show His power in Paul's life in such a way that Paul would get no glory. No one would say, man, that guy, he's gifted. That guy has seen some things. But time and time again, the Lord would put him in a situation that after using Paul in incredible ways, the only thing people could say is all glory be to Christ. Now, we're not told exactly what this significant and painful circumstance that was given to Paul by the Lord, what, what, what it is, this thorn in the flesh, so to speak. But whatever it was, here's what we can be certain of. It was painful, it was burdensome, and Paul wanted to be rid of it. Don't miss this. Did you hear what Paul prayed in verse 8? Think about the words he uses to describe it. He said, it's a thorn in my flesh. Now, we can immediately hear that and think of the word thorn and, and, and see a little bush in our yard like a rose bush. But the word Paul's using here is not equal or equivalent to a thorn on a rose bush, but a nail you would be crucified with. So he's not just talking about like, oh, got a, you know, got a, one of those little aches in your finger because you were picking roses and, and you got stuck. And he's just like, oh man, I just, I have this nagging pain. No. Paul is describing this circumstance that God put in his life like having a nail piercing his flesh. And think about how, how much he wanted this, this problem, this situation to be gone. First of all, we're told he pleaded with the Lord. It doesn't just say he said, hey God, you know, it'd be nice if you took it away. He begged. We're told at least on three occasions, he asked the Lord, oh God, take this away. And this is the response he got. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Did you hear that? Jesus answered Paul's request, but he did so very differently than Paul expected. Oh, he answered Paul's prayer, but he didn't do so in the way that Paul was hoping or expected. There's no promise of removal. Instead, we find a promise that God would give Paul something better. Paul received the sustaining grace of Christ and Paul experienced the power of Christ in the midst of his weakness. 
Paul says, God, can you take away this problem? And God said, Paul, I've got something better. I am going to sustain you in the midst of this weakness, and I'm going to display my power to you in the midst of this weakness. And the power that Christ displayed in Paul's weakness, we're told that this this power was made perfect. It was most clearly seen when Paul was at his weakest point. In other words, Jesus promised Paul that during his weakest moments, God would be at work in him in powerful ways. Jesus assures Paul that he would minister to Paul in his weakness so that Paul could minister to others. And by doing so, the power and greatness of Christ would be on full display. Now, before going any further, you may be wondering, what, what, what do you mean by weakness? What does Paul mean when he talks about weakness? Well, if we were to define the way Paul is using that term here in 2 Corinthians, not just in chapter 12, but in chapters 10 through 13 and in other places in Paul's letter, here's the best way I think we could describe it, and then I want to give you a few examples. Here's, his, here's my description of Paul's, or my definition of Paul's use of weakness. External factors outside of Paul's control that left him unable to feel, fulfill his mission without supernatural aid. That's what he meant by weakness. God was going to put him in situation after situation after situation after situation in which there were going to be circumstances outside of his control that would leave him so utterly helpless to fulfill his mission no matter how hard he tried, no matter how much knowledge and experience he had, he would be utterly unable to do it unless God came to his aid. And that's what happened time and time and time Again, actually, the church in Corinth, which Paul was the father of, he's the one that took the gospel to the the men and women of Corinth, and this church was birthed through his preaching. Listen how Paul describes his first encounter with the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now get this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Think about what the Apostle Paul just said. He reminds the Corinthians, do you remember when I came and I preached the gospel and so many of you got saved? Do you know when I arrived, and we're not told the circumstances, Paul says, I was, at, I was in weakness, there was fear, there was trembling. I didn't walk up with, with bravado. I wasn't leaning on my gifting, on my knowledge. I came utterly weak, not sure what was going to happen. I preach, you get saved, and guess what? I'm glad it happened that way, so that your faith is not dependent upon Well, did I really believe because Paul was convincing enough? No, you can say that was the power of God. Paul reminds them, your very conversion was a demonstration of my weakness, God's power. I think about how the Apostle Paul begins 2 Corinthians. And here, friends, he he is not just using hyperbole. Listen to how, how utterly weak he was. At this moment, first in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, 
of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we had felt that we had received the sentence of death. And what's Paul saying there? If you go back to the book of Acts and you follow what's going on here, Paul and some of those he's with are so physically weak, most likely sick, that they looked at each other and thought, this is it. We're going to die. We've been faithful. We've done all we can. This is obviously the Lord's last moments for us. They were utterly despairing of life and thought they had got the sentence of death. And, and why did God put them in that place? Listen to the rest of verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. <laughs> Paul said, Corinthians, I know you heard about my situation when I was in Asia. Listen, I was so desperate. I thought I was going to die. And you know why God brought me to that point? So that he can show me I am the God who gives life. And if you make it out of this, it's going to be because I brought you out of it. See, these are just a few examples of what Paul means when he talks about weakness. Now think about what, what this meant for Paul and what it means for us. You see, even though God had given Paul significant spiritual gifts, gifts that enabled him to, to build his church, it was actually the times in which Paul was at his weakest that God used him most powerfully for his kingdom. I mean, Paul was a titanic figure. Incredible gifts. If you read his letters, if you think about all they accomplished, and yet the Apostle Paul says, you want to know when I did my best work? When I was at my weakest. So that God got all the glory. Actually, that's, that's why at the beginning of verse 9, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is, is sufficient for you. Think about that. He speaks of his power in Paul's life as a grace to him. See, Christ's display of power in the midst of weakness was an expression of grace. Jesus was saying to him, Paul, here, here, here's what I want you to see. Here's how my power is a grace to you. I'm going to do things in you. They're going to have nothing to do with how great you are, how much you know, what you're back your past is, your background is, guess what? I'm going to do things in you you could have never, ever dreamed of. And I'm going to do it in such a way that I get all the glory. And after, therefore, it's a grace to you. You're not dependent on your strength, your ability, but on me. Now, before we go any further, I, I think it is imperative that we remember that this isn't just Paul's story. Actually, I think the, the whole message of the gospel could be summed up with this phrase, grace for weakness. The whole story of the gospel is grace for weakness. Listen how the Apostle Paul talks in Romans 5, verse 6, 6, um, 6-8. through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The message of the gospel is grace for the weak. That's why many people, as we heard at the beginning of our service, in the call to worship, reject Christ. Because they don't want to admit they're weak. I'm not talking about intellectually weak. I'm talking about they, they just think that maybe they're not just the, the best people. There's probably somebody better. Mother Teresa is better than them. The worst thing about them is they're just, there's a few little 
quirk, some bad things. Maybe they just need a little bit of therapy and they'll be better. Here's what the Bible says about us. Oh, oh, we, we are utterly depraved. The God who made us, we have rejected. We want nothing to do with. And we don't even know it. And if we did, there's nothing we could do to make our way to him. But here's the good news. He didn't leave us in our weakness. That's the gospel. And we cannot be saved unless we come as those who are weak, receiving the grace of Christ. So it's true when we get saved that we're weak. And it's true if, when God uses us in ministry to serve others. Listen later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This is how the Apostle Paul speaks of his ministry. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says this incredible message we've been entrusted It's like a treasure. And guess what? God entrusted this treasure not with great, amazing people. He put it in a fragile, ordinary, breakable, replaceable pot. So that when the Apostle Paul stands up and preaches the gospel and people get saved, No one says, Paul, you are so eloquent. They say, all glory be to Christ. See, the message of 2 Corinthians in particular reveals one of the many ways in which Christ shows us His grace in times of weakness. And here's what we discover in this particular letter. God God gives us grace in many ways But God gives us a unique grace in times of weakness. And and here's, here's what we discover about this grace. God gives us power in weakness. That's that's the paradox we're confronted with in this passage. Power when we're weak. It's actually the paradox of the Christian life and the secret to spiritual power. There's power. In our weakness. There's power in our weakness. See, in our weakness, Christ himself, we're told, sustains us by his grace. And he enables us to do what we could never do on our own. According to our own wisdom. He does it all when we are at our weakness. Now, now do you understand why, why Paul had to live with this thorn in his flesh and why he had to minister to others with this thorn in place? See, instead of removing it, the Lord gave Paul grace to endure the severity of this trial and of his weakness. Scott Hafman, who wrote a commentary on 2 Corinthians, he He makes this observation. I I come across many wonderful quotes, but this is one of those ones that has the potential, if you get what he's saying, to be life-changing. Listen to this. It is endurance in the midst of adversity, not immediate miraculous deliverance from it, that reveals most profoundly the power of God. Let me say that again. It is endurance in the midst of adversity, not immediate miraculous deliverance from it that reveals most profoundly the power of God. Now, here's the question. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that to be true? That the greatest display of God's power is not seen when He does the miraculous but through the grace of Christ given to us so that we can endure all kinds of adversity. 
Is that a greater miracle in our mind? Not when God supernaturally heals someone, but He allows them to walk through adversity and He gives them grace to make it through. Is that a greater miracle? Sadly, we are, we are prone individually and corporately, we are, we are prone to miss God's power on display in moments of adversity. And there are a number of reasons for that. I want to look at one, which brings us to our second final point. Challenging words about weakness. Look at how Paul then responds to the statement by Jesus. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's, here's what we must understand when, when we hear Paul say this. The hard part this morning is we're dropping into this letter, missing all that's come before, and one of the things we can miss is the tone of this letter. From chapters 1 through 9, there is much affection. Chapters 10 through 13, Paul has to take off one hat and put on another. In chapters 10 through 13, he is corrective. This passage actually falls in the corrective side. Oh, it brings great comfort, but, but it, it brings correction. And one of the reasons Paul's having to bring correction is, is all surrounding all this talk of boasting. All this boasting that's going on. Now, what, what's going on here? What was taking place at this time in which Paul had to address and challenge and even correct? See, the whole reason Paul here in these chapters 10 through 12 is, is having to even boast. It goes back to something that was happening since Paul left. Since he left, some leaders have come into the church who were boasting in their accomplishments, who were boasting in their strengths, and in turn, they were putting down Paul. They, they, they weren't just putting him down, they sought to discredit him. And the reason they wanted to discredit him is because his ministry did not look appealing or impressive. They said, wait, okay. If, if, if he really was this apostle on par with the other 12, if he really has done all these great things, then why does he keep finding himself in all of these situations? Why does he show up looking so physically feeble? Why does he bear so many scars? Why is no one filling arenas? And paying big money, which was what was going on in Corinth, to hear him speak. He's not charging anything. If this guy was even remotely, what he says he is, then why has he suffered so severely? And why does he live so meagerly? And why in the world does he act so humbly? Everybody should be aware that this guy's probably a fraud. Because if he really was called of God, do you think his life would look that way? And here's the irony. Paul could have easily shut them all down with all the things he had accomplished. And guess what he does? Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, 
I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. See, in order to defend his role as an apostle, and in order to influence this church that could have easily be listening to these false leaders, Paul was forced to boast. He didn't want to boast. If you're, if you're reading through the letter, you, you see how uncomfortable he is. He says, I don't want to get in this spitting competition with you guys. But I realize that if I stay silent, you might actually listen to these guys and think, number one, that I wasn't really called from the Lord, and then you're not going to listen to me, and that wouldn't be for your good. And number two, you're going to think that's the way the successful Christian life looks. So even though I do not want to do this, I, I am jumping in. I'm going to boast. Who's got a resume like mine? He says to these guys in their polished outfits, charging big money. Everybody's ooing and aahing their disciples at their feet. He says, which one of you guys have ever been beaten? How many times have you been shipwrecked? Ever been out in the cold? Wondering if you were going to freeze to death? That's my resume. What the Apostle Paul's doing? The false apostles boasted in their, in their accomplishments in order to impress the church. Paul, on the other hand, boasted in his weakness, not, not to impress, but to influence the church and to instruct them about the power of Christ. And upon hearing Jesus say to him, No, Paul, I'm not going to remove this thorn. I'm going to give you my grace. You know what Paul says? I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. Now listen, the Apostle Paul's words, they're challenging and they're corrective. They were then... And they still are today. Let's not sentimentalize what he says. These are radical words. Who boasts in their weakness to start with? Who boasts all the more gladly? You know why this is corrective? It was corrective then and it's corrective now because we, like the church in Corinth, have far too often been more influenced by the culture than Christ. And you know what's impressive to us? We love the spectacular. We're drawn to big personalities, outward signs of success, like how, how big is your congregation? How big is your building? We love appearances and wealth and fame and talent and so on. And we say, you got those things, that means you got God's favor. See, the reason the Corinthians could even listen to these bozos that were telling them, Paul's not real. Paul's not an apostle. The only reason they could hear that is because they had breathed in the air of Corinth. Thinking, oh yeah, that's what strength looks like. That's, that's what favor from God looks like. And Paul says, really? Well, let's start with the Messiah. <laughs> Last I heard, he died on a cross. In weakness. He didn't seem very triumphal when he was hanging there in shame, bearing your sin and mine. So you see what Paul's doing? He doesn't want them to have this mentality of, of the culture. And sadly, we, we, can, we can be just like the Corinthians. We, we live in a culture that says this is what success looks like. This is what successful people and successful ministries and successful churches looks like. See, Paul, we're told, chose to boast all the more gladly in his weaknesses for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the church. And I think Paul's example is instructive. Through his example, we learn how to, how to counteract this false idea that associates spiritual power with strong people and strong groups. See, we know that the power of Christ is perfected in our weakness. 
See, it's actually when we feel most desperate and inadequate that Christ shows forth his power in us. Isn't that good news? It's when we feel most desperate and inadequate that that, that Christ says, I got this. (laughs) Sit back and watch. So, how can we as a church go into 2024 following the Apostle Paul's example, boasting all the more gladly in our weaknesses? Paul's example here was not just meant for us to, to just better understand his background. It's meant to compel us. So how can we go into 2024 boasting more gladly about our weakness? I want to suggest one way in particular in closing. We must, as a church, recognize and celebrate the sustaining grace of God every chance we get. We must recognize and celebrate the sustaining grace of God every chance we get. Recently, I attended our Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference. You probably remember us a few weeks ago telling you that we got to attend and thanking you for praying for us and for sending us. And on the first night of the Pastors Conference, we're over 800 pastors and wives and some guests joined from not only the United States, from all over the world. And on that first night, our founder, C.J. Mahaney, he preached from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Now he was addressing pastors, so the topic of the title of his message was the paradox of pastoral ministry. And as he spoke that night, I, I was not only greatly encouraged and affected and ministered to, I was reminded why we as a church are so blessed to be a part of Sovereign Grace Churches. At a certain point in his message, CJ asked all the pastors present the following questions. And he he asked us these questions in order to exhort us to build churches that celebrate sustaining grace. Here's what he asked. Have you taught your church to discern and celebrate God at work in the form of sustaining grace in their lives? Have you taught your church that endurance in the midst of adversity, not immediate miraculous deliverance from it, reveals most profoundly the power of God? Have you taught them to discern and appreciate the difference? Sustaining grace is made perfect in the midst of their adversity. Do they understand that? Or are they only preoccupied with the removal of the adversity? He says, listen, we pray for the removal. Not in any way would I encourage you not to pray for the removal of adversity. But brothers, we are very aware, are we not? That often God doesn't remove. Instead, he sustains. And then he said this. He said, every Sunday, if you have this vantage point of your church, you know that throughout the congregation, hands are being lifted up by individuals who are suffering in severe ways. Yet in their suffering, they are not angry at God. They are not charging God. Instead, they are trusting in the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, and the goodness of God. He says, pastors, we should be able to look out on those individuals and say, that's profound power at work in your life. Church, that's the kind of leadership that has marked our denomination for 40 years. And that's the kind of emphasis that I am so grateful for. Now get this, that charge by CJ to us as pastors, that, that, that invitation to celebrate sustaining grace, it's not reserved for pastors only. See, we all have the privilege of celebrating sustaining grace in the life of other members of this congregation. So here's my exhortation to you. What other 
goals you have for 2024? Can you make this your goal? Can you make this your mission? In 2024, would you seek to identify and to articulate all the ways you see the power of Christ on full display in the life of people who are suffering and experiencing some form of adversity? How often do you go up to people in this very congregation who are experiencing adversity and struggling and suffering And you say to them, the profound power of God is at work in your life. I heard you on Sunday singing. When we sang, great is thy faithfulness, I looked over and I saw you singing. That is a miracle. And God gets all the glory. Oh, friends, let let us continue to to pray for one another. Let's, Let's ask for God to remove any physical or circumstantial trials. This is not to say, let's stop praying for miracles. Let's let's pray that God would do miracles. But, but, do not make the removal of pain or the removal of problems that the people are facing the sign of God's power. As if God heals them, that's powerful. No, the, the fact that they went to their dying took their dying breath, still believing in the Savior is a greater miracle. I was moved this morning by, that, by those lines in that song. Remembering former saints who are no longer with us. And I was immediately reminded of my, my friend Kevin Cole. Kevin was a miracle because here's what you need to know about Kevin. God did not choose to heal him. But Kevin did not say, how dare the Lord. What kind of God would do that? He trusted the Lord until he took his final breath. That's power. That's profound power. So church, let let us boast all the more gladly in the sustaining grace of Christ. Because here's the good news. When we do that, when we do this as a congregation, we're going to experience the presence of Christ in more pronounced ways. You know why I say that? Because of how this verse ends. Why, Why would Paul... Say, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Is he just lost his mind? No, he knows something we don't. He says, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Do you know what that word rest could be translated? That the power of Christ would tabernacle on me. In other words, Paul says, it's when I'm weakest, I know the presence of Christ's sweetest. Oh, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses because it's when I'm at my weakest that I sense Christ's presence in ways that are profound and I wouldn't trade for the world. So I'm going to boast all the more gladly. Church, I truly believe if we want as a church to experience more of the presence of Christ and more of the nearness of Christ, and we want to experience greater displays of the power of Christ, we must not despise weakness, and we must not devalue the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church in 2024 that that knows more of the presence of Christ, sees more of the power of Christ. Here's what we must be. We must be a church that doesn't despise weakness. We must say, Lord, actually, it's right here in verse 10. For the sake of Christ. And we say this. 
I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May the Lord enable us to say that in 2024. When I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Oh, Father, write this truth on our heart. Help us to grasp it because we do live in the air of a culture and a country that promotes success. It says this is what success looks like. And we can fall prey to believing all the lies as we look at our life, we look at our church, we look at the church in general and in the United States, and we can see our weaknesses and think, God could never use us. God, forgive us for entertaining such worldly ideas. Reorient our minds so that we will emulate the Savior who saved us in weakness. Lord, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for, thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for ministering to us today. And thank you for saying something we will not hear anywhere else on the internet or in a book to start 2024. Now help us to believe it and to live in light of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.